Um, I've got something to be thankful for. My wife's been away for two weeks. Not that I'm thankful for that. <laughs> just to clarify that. Audrey, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. Um, I'm alive. That's what I've got to be thankful for. The kids are alive. The house hasn't burned down. The dog is alive. So God is good. Um, before, we, um, before we get into our, our new series this morning, I've got a couple of little silly stories, which I don't normally do, but I like these stories. They were good. Um, a man bought a donkey from an old farmer for £100. The farmer agreed to deliver the donkey the next day. Come morning, the farmer drove up and said, Sorry, but I got some bad news. The donkey died. Well then, just give me my money back, the man said. Can't do that, I just spent it already, replied the farmer. Okay, then just unload the donkey. What are you going to do with him, asked the farmer. I'm going to raffle him off. You can't raffle off a dead donkey, exclaimed the farmer. Sure I can, watch me. A month later, the farmer met up with the guy and asked about what happened with the dead donkey. I raffled him off. I sold 500 tickets at £2 apiece. And with the £100 I gave to you, I made £898 profit. (laughs) Didn't no one complain? Asked the farmer. Just the guy who won, so I gave him his £2 back. Several men are in the locker room of a golf club. A mobile phone on the bench rings and a man engages the hands-free speaker function and begins to talk as he put on, puts on his golf shoes. Everyone else in the room stops to listen. Hello? Honey, it's me. Are you at the club? Yes. I'm at the shops now and I found this beautiful leather coat. It's only £500. Is it okay if I buy it? Sure, go ahead. If you like it that much, go ahead and buy it. Oh, thanks very much. I also stopped by the Mercedes garage this morning and I saw the new models. There was this one I really, really liked. The man, how much? The lady, £80,000. Okay, but for that price, we need to get all the optional extras. Go for it. Woman, great. Oh, and one more thing. The house I wanted last year is back on the market. They're asking one and a half million. Man, well, then go ahead and make an offer. Maybe no more than one and a quarter million. Okay, I'll see you later. I love you. Bye. I love you too. The man hangs up. The other men in the locker room are looking at him in absolute astonishment. Then he smiles and asks, Anyone know whose mobile phone this is? We are beginning a series, that has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about, I just like those stories. We're going to begin a series today called Free Indeed, Free Indeed. Is there anybody here this morning and you would say, Gareth, I need a little bit more freedom in my life. I understand that Jesus has set me free, but sometimes I struggle to live in that reality. John 8 Verse 36 says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I want to declare this morning, at the beginning of this series, is that is where God wants you to be. 
In fact, a little bit more than that, that is the truth in the name of Jesus. That everyone here who has come under the authority of Jesus Christ, I want to speak freedom over your life. Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. When God made Adam, God created him for freedom. He gave him a world, a creation, and he set him loose. And he says, Adam, just go ahead and enjoy what I've made for you. He created him for freedom. The definition of freedom is this. It's the power or the right to act, speak, or think as we want. This is our identity. This is who God has made us to be. That we are made to live in freedom. Now, as we talk about being free, as we talk about spiritual warfare over the next few weeks, we really need to be praying. Because here's the deal. The deal is that sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, the enemy is able to to gain some foothold into our lives. And he is going to be agitated and he is going to be upset that we are talking about booting him out and coming into a greater place of freedom. Now, Proverbs tells us, a little principle in Proverbs, it tells us that, that when the thief comes, when he goes, he has to return sevenfold what he has taken. Now, that excites me. Because it means that if there is a struggle in my life, if there is a, an area where the, the enemy has, has come in and he has some influence over me, as I learn to live in the freedom that God has got for me, he's going to have to return to me more than what he's taken. So right now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, yeah, oh my goodness, I need some more freedom. Yeah, Gareth, that's really good. Preach it, brother, come on. Yeah, go for it. As, you, as you're thinking about this, the great encouraging thing is that, that in those areas of weakness, in those areas of struggle, in, in maybe those areas where you need some deliverance, God is going to do some great things that ultimately is going to bring glory to his name. Now, this morning, uh, I've entitled this uh, kickoff as um, When Jesus Met Legion. When Jesus Met Legion. Kind of in the style of When Harry Met Sally. It's uh, what, what happened when Jesus met a demon. In fact, not just one demon, but thousands of demons. Now, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 5. And let me just say this. The reason why I'm using this passage this morning is, is not because necessarily I think that there are people here that have thousands of demons within them. But here's the thing. If Jesus can deal with somebody who has thousands of demons, then if the enemy has any sense of a stronghold in my life, then it's going to be no problem to him whatsoever. So I'm using this passage as kind of an extreme. And we'll read about a man who was so tortured, who was so possessed by the enemy that he was out of his mind, he was crazy, he was living in tombs, and he was naked. Now we're doing pretty good this morning because we have our clothes on. 
Okay? That's a good start. Uh, that's a good start. That, that kind of signifies to me that maybe we haven't, you know, got as many problems as this man. But the reason why I use this account is because if God can bring deliverance into this man, then certainly he can bring freedom and deliverance into our lives too. So let's have a look at Mark 5. We're going to read quite a bit this morning. So let's stick in there and concentrate on what the Word of God is saying. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. It's interesting that this man was was living in a place of death. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice. Now, this is the demon speaking now, okay? This is not the man, this is the demon. What do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, Swear to God that you won't torture me. But Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion. A, a, a legion of soldiers was probably around about 6,800 soldiers. So it's quite possible that this man was being tortured and was possessed by thousands of demons. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. They heard about 2,000 in number. Quite possibly every pig got about three demons in them. They heard about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those who were tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. You'd think they'd be happy, but they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's basically ten cities, go away and tell ten cities how much Jesus had done for him 
And all the people were amazed. Here's some simple things I want to say about this passage this morning. The first thing is this. Demons are real. Demons are real. Demons are mentioned about 82 times in the Bible, about 61 times in the Gospels. What we understand about demons is that they are fallen angels. There came this moment in heaven where where Satan, who is probably, was the the sort of chief worshipper in heaven. He was the, 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 the music director in heaven, which is interesting, actually, when you think about music and sometimes how influential music can be, that we need to be careful what we listen to. Anyway, that is a side point. There came this moment in heaven where Satan rebelled, and God kicked him out. And we we think about a third of the angels were kicked out with him. But straight away, you know, being a mass person, you think, hang on, for every demon that there is, there are two angels who are on my side. That's, you know, let's just start there. For every demon that is against me, there were two angels that are for me. We see here that they, they, are, they are disembodied spirits. This man, um, he lived in the tombs. He lived in a place of death. And some commentators say that actually the reason why, why he did that is that the demons within him were almost collecting other demons as bodies died. That when the, the, the spirits were driven out of the man, they had to find other bodies, pigs, to enter into. Which kind of backs up the theory that sometimes dogs can be demon-possessed, okay? And I'm kind of thinking this possibly with my dog, I might bring him into this series, that he might need a little bit of deliverance, because he does go absolutely crazy sometimes. Anyway, he's not going to appreciate that when I get home. He's going to tell me off. So, so, so demons are, are, are disembodied spirits. Now, here's where I want to quote C.S. Lewis, because C.S. Lewis is a good place to go to, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, when you want a Christian thinker to put on your wall. C.S. Lewis would be a, a great man to, to quote. He says this, there are two groups of people when it comes to, you know, thinking about demons. He says there is the skeptic And being a good Christian thinker, he's got two S words. There is the skeptic, and then there is the superstitious. What he's saying is this. There are some people who will say, well, you know, demons. There are commentators who say, well, actually, in the age of Jesus, people suffered with mental illness and different things. They weren't really demons, but Jesus, you know, to try and help people, he sort of used this language, rubbish. The Bible tells us there are demons and they are real. If you don't think they are real, just crack open your Bible and read the Gospels. But then we have the other extreme that is the the, the superstitious. Now what we need to find is we we, we need to find some sense of balance. Because I want to tell you this morning that demons are absolutely real, but there are those in church circles that see a demon behind every single bush. 
There are people that blame demons for absolutely everything wrong that is going in their lives. We need to be people of balance. We need to understand that, yes, they're they're real. But actually, you know, the focus of my life is Jesus. The focus of my life is the one who made me, created me, knows me, loves me, died for me, set me free. The focus of my life is not the demonic. It tells us that in the end days, when God is wrapping up things, where he is sorting out what happens in this world, and there is a new heaven and a new earth, there comes this point where it's almost, you know, when you read Revelation, there comes this point where, all right, that's it, I've, I've had it with Satan. Do you know what he does with him? It takes one angel, one angel in the authority that God gives him to come and to bind Satan and to throw him in the pit of hell. I can almost imagine this little discussion in heaven where God is working out, you know, what to do with, with Satan. And uh, the question is sort of asked, who's going who's gonna to go and sort out Satan? And God says, oh, just send the new boy. Just send the new boy. You know, sometimes Satan gets the blame for everything. And we must be careful not to be a skeptic, not to think, well, demons, you know, that's all, oh, what's all mumbo-jumbo? That's not really real, is it? But we must be careful as well not to see a demon behind every single bush. Jack Hayford, who is a, another great Christian thinker that Louise could put on her wall um, next to me and C.S. Lewis. Um, <laughs> Jack Hayford said this, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. Now that is really, that's smart, okay? You can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. So there are people that that when you talk about this process of sanctification, their whole ethos seems to be this superstitious thing over here, that demons get the the blame for everything, and it's all about deliverance. If we can just deliver people from demons, then we're going to be free. There are other people over here that say, no, 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 it's not about the demonic, but it's about discipleship. We've got to disciple people. We've got to teach people the word. We've got to help people to understand the truth, and that will bring freedom into their lives. Do we need discipleship or do we need deliverance? Here's my answer. Yes. We need discipleship, but also in those areas in our lives where the enemy has a foothold, sometimes we need deliverance. And here's the big thing, is once you've been delivered, maybe we need to reflect upon How did the the enemy get a foothold in the first place? And that's where probably you need some discipleship. We'll come on to that in a minute. So, this morning, if if, if I'm suggesting to you that you may have some demonic influence in your life, you know, don't get upset. Because Jesus is here. Jesus is here. 
and he wants to he wants to deliver you, he wants to disciple you, he wants to help you, and he wants to bring you into freedom. So one, yes, uh, there really are demons. The second thing is they really do influence people. Um, John 10 verse 1 says this, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, what Jesus is telling us here is that if we are, if we are standing in the sweet spot of life, which is, you know, I, I, am, I am ultimately standing today in the, in the complete promises and truth. I, I am surrendering to the Holy Spirit every day. I, I'm just totally submitted to him. I am living completely under God's authority then, then the enemy can't touch us. Because God, in that situation, he, he is controlling the gate to your heart, the gate to your life. Now, how many people here would say, there are moments in life where I'm not living in total surrender to Jesus? I mean, am I just the only one? Oh my goodness, you know. There, there are just so many moments in my life where I'm not surrendered to him, I'm not submitted to him. And Jesus is, is telling us here, that, that that's where the thief comes. He comes and he influences us. He seeks to build his strongholds in our life. James 4 verse 7 tells us to resist the devil. Ephesians 4 27 says, neither give place to the devil, which suggests that the, the, the demonic and the enemy can have a place in our lives, if we're told not to give him a place. Now, here's where we get to the big question I think some of us have. And I'm, not, I'm not even sure I know the answer to this. And I'll, I'll tell you later on why this is not a problem, that I know totally the answer. But the big question is, well, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Well, let me just, let's define what possession is, first of all. Possession is the state of having, owning, or controlling something. Now, what we know from Mark 5 is that this man was so surrendered to what the enemy was doing in his life, he was totally and absolutely controlled by the demonic. Except, except, that the demonic couldn't stop him from coming to Jesus. I mean, that's amazing. That 6,000 demons could not stop this man from coming to the giver of freedom. But it's interesting how we think about possession. Now, Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, all who dwell in it. So ultimately, who do we belong to? We belong to God. So now when we think about this thing of possession, sometimes we think about ownership. But what I would say is that ultimately God owns us. I own my house. But I may go to my house after church today. I may open the door and there may be a thief in my house. 
He may have come in and he is seeking to influence what is happening in the house. Now, most of us, normal people, will pick up the phone, we'll, we'll phone the authority, we will phone 99 and we will say, please, Mr. Authority, can you come and deal with the thief in my house? But you could just think, oh, well, there's a thief in my house. Can I be bothered? No, not really. Okay. You may walk away. You may live in your second property if you have a second property. Now, the thief thinks, well, this is great. I've come. I don't even actually need to take the stereo and the DVD and the iMac stuff. I'm just going to stay here, and I'm going to use it. And the thief could be living there for 20 years. And I think this is what has happened with this man. That ultimately, did the devil own this man? No, he was God's property. But because he had allowed the enemy to come in, the enemy had come to a place of, of, of total authority in this man's life. Except, except, that the devil couldn't stop him from coming to Jesus. So here's what I'm going to say. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? I'm not really sure, but does it really matter that we answer that question? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, isn't it just a question of influence? How much influence are we allowing the enemy to have? I know that, and I'm sure we would all agree, that we can all be oppressed, attacked by the enemy. So we have these, we have these degrees of influence from just a moment where one day I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, and as I'm reading the Bible, I think, do you know what? I want to kill myself. As in, oh, don't need to put up your hand, okay? But has anybody had a thought of, I wonder what would happen if I died? But, you know, should I kill myself? Can I just tell you, that thought is not coming from you. That thought is coming from demonic influence. It's, it's, it's an attack. And then you have a choice. What am I going to do with that thought? Next week, Dad is going to talk about the battle of the mind. Because from what I can understand, the mind is critical in this thing of, of, of spiritual warfare. The, 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 so much happens within our mind that that is where we need to win the battle with the mind of Christ. Um, let me put it another way. This evening, I'm on my own. Maybe the kids are with mum and dad and they're being babysat. And I think, you know what, I'm going to go out and get a few cans of lager. I don't drink really much at all. But because Audrey's away, you know, I think I'm going to live it up tonight. And I get, get a, two six-packs. <laughs> all right? By, by, I've, by the time I've drunk the 11th lager, I have come under the influence of something else. I may begin to do things that are slightly out of character for Gareth Benton. I could re maybe I'm thinking about Mark 5 and about my sermon this morning. Yeah, I'm going to recreate Mark 5 and I run down through Summerstown naked, you know. I don't know. I may start to do things that are absolutely crazy because I am under the influence of something else. So here's the thing. Sometimes we can be under the influence of the demonic 
I'm not sure, are they in me, around me, attached to me? Does it really matter? I'm under the influence and I need deliverance because I'm doing things that are out of character with the nature of Jesus who lives within me. It's a possession. I mean, sometimes we have, we have little battles in our home, don't we, over the, the possession of the remote control. Now, you know, my kids may, you know, when we go to mum and dad's later, they, they, will, they will want possession of the remote control. Do they own the remote control? No, they don't own the remote control, but they will want possession of it because the remote control has authority over the little black box in the corner. So I think sometimes we, we spend endless amount of time debating some of these things. And, and, and sometimes, can I say, it comes from sort of, we want kind of a very black and white answer. Here's the thing I'm going to tell you this morning. Can you be under the influence of the demonic? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And if you continue in your life not to surrender to God, not to submit to God and resist the devil, but actually to submit to the devil and resist God, I'm going to tell you now that his influence will grow stronger and stronger in your life. And you will need, at some point, some deliverance and some discipleship. Here's the great thing. Yes, there are demons. Yes, they really do influence people. But yes, Jesus really does have authority over them. That was good, Gav. Let's try that again. Demons are real. Demons really influence people. And Jesus really does have authority over them. Fantastic. Right. Luke 10, verse 17. Jesus has sent out 72 of his mates. He has commissioned them. They've gone out and they get excited because things begin to happen in the name of Jesus. And it says this in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and they said, Lord Even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Now, he's not necessarily talking about literal snakes and scorpions. He's talking about demons, okay? He's talking about the the demonic realm. And to overcome all the power of the enemy... Nothing will harm you. However, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, again, it kind of reminds me that, you know, demons don't need to be our focus. You know, some people, all they talk about is, is, is deliverance and demons and this, that, and the other. Well, here's the big thing. My my name is written in heaven, in the book of life. That's what I need to rejoice over. At that time, Jesus, full full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. I don't even need to understand all this stuff in my head. Because Jesus takes children, the 
the childlike, those full of faith. So you may be thinking, whoa, Gareth, I've, I've got 20 more questions this morning after your sermon than when you begun. It's okay. Don't worry. You don't need to understand everything. Just know that Jesus really does have authority over the demonic. Look at this guy in Mark 5, where he was, where he'd come from, living in a tomb, thousands of demons, ripping his clothes off, self-harming, totally out of his mind. And yet when Jesus turns up on the scene, all that happens, all that he can do is run to Jesus. And Jesus very simply, very calmly, with authority, delivers this man. And the incredible thing is, and this blows my mind. Okay, so this man, he's had thousands of demons. He's been set free. What would you do next? Well, maybe you need to, you know, go to Bible college and they're going to really teach you the word and or, or, or maybe you need to come with me now and just become one of my little, little gang and, and we'll make sure that you're okay. This, this man, basically Jesus sends him to be an evangelist, not to one city, but to ten cities. The power of God was so strong in this man's life, he was so delivered, he was so set free, that now this man becomes an evangelist to thousands of other people. That's amazing. That's incredible. I want to encourage you this morning. Let me leave you with this quote. This is by a chap called Horton. We are not left with our own weapons or armor. Maybe the worship team can come up. We are not left with our own weapons or armor, but with the same armor that won Christ's victory in the first place. He clothes us with his victory, with his righteousness, with his truth, with his gospel, with his salvation. His word protects us from Satan's divines. I'm kind of reading that list and I think I'll just take one of those. You know, one of those would be enough to conquer everything demonic in my life. But we get his victory, his righteousness, his truth, his gospel. His salvation, his word. Wow, we're so blessed, aren't we? We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That is our identity. That is, who, that is where God wants us to be living. But the reality is sometimes, because we're not submitted to him, we allow, we allow the enemy to come and he gains a foothold. How many people here? Don't put up your hand again. Just have a think about this. How many people here, you would say, do you know what, Gareth? I, I have an area in my life where I just, I can't seem to stop sinning. I, I've been battling in this one area for, for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years. It is, sometimes you say, it's just a weakness. Really? Just a weakness? 30 years of battle? No, you need some deliverance. And you need some discipleship. 
This is encouraging stuff. Because Jesus can set us free. Shall we all stand together? We're just going to begin to worship Jesus. This man, as I said, with thousands of demons. The demons couldn't stop this man from coming to Jesus. Jesus is the place where we find freedom, deliverance, wholeness, There may be some people here this morning and you would say, you know, Gareth, I I need to have an encounter with Jesus. You know, I may not be out of my mind. (laughs) Certainly not ripping my clothes off. I'm not self-harming. Or maybe you are. Maybe there's some people here this morning that out of the torture that is happening in your life, in in, in the secrecy of, of your bedroom, you're harming yourself. I just want to say this morning that just as, as, as the enemy is real and he has brought you to a place of, of, of destruction and, and confusion and death, we just declare this morning that Jesus is real. He is real. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's not a made-up personality. We are not here this morning because we are following a religion We are here this morning simply because Jesus is real and He is alive today. And when He came and He lived, He he took authority over the demonic. And ultimately, when He died and rose again, he, He took authority over hell. He took authority over death. And I can tell you this morning, whatever you are struggling with, whatever is going on, Jesus can take authority. But you have to let him in. You have to allow him to come. You have to surrender to him.